following message was presented during the Friends of Israel Gospel Ministries 2017 Prophecy Conference season. Now here's David Levy with a message from Daniel chapter 3, verses 1 through 30, Conviction Without Compromise. Take your Bible and open to Daniel chapter 3. There are 30 verses to this chapter. Uh, many of you have studied this chapter. You know it well. You were taught in Sunday school, and for some of you, that was a long time ago. For others, well, uh, some young people that are here, it might have been very recent. But the topic of the hour is conviction without compromise. And what I want to do is go through uh, some of the facts of the chapter and then we want to conclude it with some application that would be uh, for our day. So, uh, Daniel chapter 3. Now, on July 4th, we commemorated the 241st year as a nation. Um, most of us that are here were born free as United States citizens. We do not know what it would be like to be in captivity and to have our nation destroyed by Russia, China, Korea, taken captive to one of these uh, cities and have a name changed. If it was in Russian, it would be that long. If it was China, Chinese, it would be difficult to pronounce or Korean, who would know what? But, uh, you know, in 606 B.C., we have uh, Nebuchadnezzar besieging the city of Jerusalem. And uh, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, which is their Babylonian name, not their Israeli name, uh, were taken captive in 605 B.C. and taken to Babylon, and then they received a name change. And uh, you can only imagine, with the name change uh, came uh, a different culture. They had to learn a different language. They had to learn a different culture. And they were actually slaves in the city of Babylon. Well, uh, they were there for a while. and It's about 20 years later down the road. And uh, we studied in Daniel chapter 2. Uh, studying the uh, dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, as we studied that, uh, Daniel answered the dream, but if you'll look in chapter 2, verse 49 here, it said, Then Daniel requested of the king, uh, and he set Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the providences of Babylon but Daniel sat in the gate of the king. He sat in the gate, but he had a request for Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego that they be given positions of authority. And so, as we open the chapter, they are here in positions of authority. Now, Daniel is not mentioned in the chapter, and why isn't he mentioned? Well, he could have been away on business, um, but Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are the ones that are featured here and the ones that we focus on. 
And if you were to study Daniel chapter 3 and then go over to Daniel chapter 6, which Steve will be dealing with later in the conference, uh, you'll notice that there are many parallels to these two chapters. So keep that in mind as you hear Steve's message on chapter 6. Now there are seven major points that we want to look at and we're going to go right down through the chapter. And the first thing we see here is the ceremony in verses 1 through 3. Now, Mike told us in the last hour that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was the head of gold. And hearing that, being the head of gold, I think it went to his head. Because, <laughs> no pun intended, but he decided, well, if I'm the head of gold... Why not have a whole body of me in gold? And so he's going to make a statue here. And the statue, as we will see here, is in a human form. Uh, the statue was 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And so you look at this statue and it's a skinny looking thing. Uh, some say, well, it wasn't really that high as far as the statue was concerned, but he had a platform. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us that, and we don't know whether it stood on a platform. It might have been lifted up on a platform that the statue would fit on for the hordes of people that were going to bow down and worship to see. But anyway, it was a huge thing. It was placed out in the plain of Dura. Now, the word Dura means walled. So it might have been a walled-off area, or it might have been an area back uh, against uh, some raised land in some way. We really don't know. And it was in the suburb of Babylon. And so you have this uh, huge statue and it's an image, uh, and it's that Nebuchadnezzar is really making an image of himself, I believe, to show that he has absolute authority, greatness, majesty, and power. And he's the one that's going to be uh, worshipped. Now in verses 2 and 3 here, you notice the delegation before the image. There are seven positions that are mentioned here. There are princes, governors, captains, judges, treasurers, counselors, sheriffs, uh, plus you have Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Again, Daniel is absent. So you have these positions of people from all over the providences that are here that Nebuchadnezzar has called to come before this big statue. So this is in preparation for the ceremony. Now in verses 4 through 7, you see the command that is mentioned by a herald at the order of Nebuchadnezzar. And in verses 4 and 5, there's what I call the wicked call. Now notice in verse 4, a herald commanded all people, nations, and languages. And he's probably saying, hear ye, hear ye, hear ye. And with the horde of people, I don't know if they had to echo that some way back through everybody, the horde of people, so they would be able to hear it or not. 
But uh, it says then in verse 5, when you hear the music, and it was all kinds of instruments, eight instruments in total that would be playing this music. It was like a small orchestra. And when you hear the music, you have to, it says in verse 5, fall down and worship the image. Again, symbolizing that you're worshiping the majesty, the glory, and the authority of Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, what would be the wicked consequence if you didn't uh, listen to the herald and at the sound of the music fall down and worship? Well, in verse 6, the penalty, if not worshiping, would be you'll be incinerated in a furnace of fire. Now, that's not a pleasant thought at all, to be incinerated in this kind of a furnace. What kind of furnace was it? It was not just a little kill like you see today that uh, people will put ceramics in to harden them. And uh, No, this was a big commercial uh, furnace. Uh, it was probably used uh, for making bricks and uh, melting metal. And uh, it had a top on it where you could open it up and probably throw fuel down in it. And it had an uh, open bottom to it as well. And uh, that would not only be used for that. You might think, well, this was the first time uh, that anything like this would be done. And that's incinerating human beings. Well, that's just not the case by the Babylonians. Because it says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 22, that the king of Babylon roasted people in fire. Now, when you think of Saddam Hussein, who was the ruler in Iraq, uh, which was in this general area, uh, he did some awful things to uh, the people that didn't uh, bow down and worship him or went against him in any way, tried to overthrow him with insurrection. So this was nothing new when you hear these things in the area of Iraq because the Babylonians did this uh, down through uh, their rule. Well, uh, the wicked compliance in verse 7 was... The music sounded, all the people, a horde of people, remember, fell down, worshipped the image, and recognized uh, Nebuchadnezzar is really the only majestic ruler of the kingdom. And so you can imagine, like, uh, say we uh, had a few thousand people here, and uh, everybody bowed down and worshipped the image, but then you would look in the, the back or wherever, maybe they were up front, and there are these three little guys standing up, and uh, here the horde of people are bowing down to the image. Now, you can see that that would be quite a sight because three people out of the hundreds or thousands uh, are in disobedient to the king's command. Well, uh, third point that I want you to see here is the conspiracy in verses 8 through 12. Now notice the uh, deceptive accusation in verses 8 through 11. 
It says here in verse 8, the Chaldeans are going to accuse the Jewish people. Now, the accusers, who are they? Well, they are leaders in um, Babylon, and they're probably the uh, astrologers, the soothsayers, the wise men. They are the men in government. And the accusation is against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, that they would not fall down and worship. So they went to the king, told him what was happening, and they hated the Jewish people. They viewed these Jews as slaves. They were not only hated, and they not only hated them as slaves, but uh, they were jealous of them. You remember, we were reading in Daniel chapter 2 and verse uh, 49 here that uh, Daniel had gone to King Nebuchadnezzar and said, I got three friends, and uh, they are men of. Uh, uh, men who are very uh, committed as well unto, and very intelligent. And uh, I think you ought to give them uh, positions within uh, the government. And since Daniel had such a, a position, he could go before Nebuchadnezzar and he could request that. And they were probably jealous of these slaves putting put in positions in the government, and they didn't believe they deserved that thing. So they, they hated them. Uh, they wanted to try to destroy them. And uh, it reminds the king of his edict in verses 9 through 11 here. He reminds uh, Nebuchadnezzar, these, uh, these uh, men who go the Chaldeans, he reminds them that they did not uh, obey the edict of the king and bow down and worship. So they're telling the story. And the king is starting to have his eyes open. He understands what's going on. And they uh, denounce uh, the assault in verse 12. These Jews were rebellious. They didn't have gratitude. They were prideful. Uh, they disobeyed your edict, and they dishonored Nebuchadnezzar. They refused to worship the image. And so what you see here is really they are anti-Semites, and they want to destroy Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Well, uh, what happens? Well, point number four, verses 13 uh, through 15 you have the interrogation. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious and enraged in verse 13 uh, that they would defy him and his political authority. And so they demand Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought to him and he's going to ask them a question here in verse 14. He says, Do not ye serve my gods and worship the golden image? So he's asking them a question. He's uh, interrogating them, and he wants to know them to tell him, Are you worshiping the image, or are you not worshiping the image? Well, uh, 
There is an injunction given here in verse 14. He's going to give him a second chance. And he's going to say, If ye, and then fall down and worship, it's going to be well with you. So fall down and worship the image, and it'll be well with you. I'm giving you a second chance. But if you don't, uh, it's going to be really death to them if they don't worship the image. It's going to be death in the fiery furnace. So Nebuchadnezzar asked them a question, verse 15. Who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Who's going to deliver you? You're going to meet your destiny of doom and there's not going to be anybody who will deliver you. And that's the thinking of Nebuchadnezzar and the other Chaldeans. And they're hoping that uh, they will deny and be thrown in the fiery furnace. Well, uh, this is the, uh, really the injunction to them. But uh, you'll notice the fifth point here is uh, the courage between uh, of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the courage they have to stand up against Nebuchadnezzar. Now, notice the comment in verse 16. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. And what they are really saying, uh, we're going to give you an answer. We admit it's truthful. We didn't bow down and worship the image. The charge is correct. And uh, we're not going to try to justify our disobedience. We're not going to try to rationalize it with you. Instead, they're going to remain faithful unto Jehovah God. And so they are saying, yep, that's right. We didn't bow down and worship the image. And notice their consecration in verse 17. Our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us. Wow, that's quite a, a comment. I'm wondering if we were in a circumstance like this where we would say, our God is able to deliver us. I'm sure that some of us would, and then again, some of us might not. But this is their uh, consecration, and this is their comment back to uh, Nebuchadnezzar. And notice their confidence as well in verse 18. In essence, if God doesn't deliver us, if not, O king, we will not serve thy God nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Wow. <laughs> they put it right on the line back to the king. You see, the king was putting it on the line to them. Giving you another chance, bow down and worship. If you don't, well, the fiery furnace. But they said, uh, we're not going to do it, O king, so what are you going to do about it? In essence, we believe in our God, and we're not going to worship your God. So what you have here is they were willing to undergo martyrdom rather than worship the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And I think of uh, Joshua chapter 14, verse 15, when uh, Joshua said, For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. 
Now, some of you probably have a plaque like that over the door uh, in your house, or maybe you have a plaque like that in the uh, kitchen, and you say, we, as far as we who live under this roof, we are going to serve God no matter what. And in essence, that's what they're saying. We are going to serve God, and our household's going to serve God. We are not going to bow to the image. And that is real courage, because they knew what the consequence was going to be. And that brings me to point number six, and that's the, the condemnation that's going to come their way in verses 19 through 15. Now notice the king's uh, fury here. He's outraged in verse uh, 19. It says um, he was filled with uh, fury and the expression of his face was turned. Now this word uh, uh, turn really means he could have had, you know, a gracious smile on his face as he's dealing with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But then when he hears this of what they're telling him, his face was twisted up in anger. You can just see it. His ears get red. His face gets red. The audacity of them coming against me like this, saying these types of statements to me. And so he was furious. And uh, what does he do? Well, it says here in verse 19, he ordered that the heat the furnace seven times more. And so heat it up. This was the order. And not just take them right now, throw them in, but I want to make sure they just are incinerated in a moment's time. And then he has, the king has his forces in verses 20 and 21 he uh, commanded them in verse 20. He told the men to go uh, bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And after they were bound, the consequence here in verse 20, cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. And uh, you'll notice it says in verse 21, they were bound in their clothing. And so they were cast in fully clothed. Now, Often what you would do uh, when you were going to burn these people, you would have them stripped naked, you would embarrass them in that way, and then you would parade them over to uh, the fiery furnace in humiliation and then take and uh, put them in the furnace and to be incinerated. Many of you remember the Holocaust during the Second World War, uh, especially Auschwitz, and by the way, if you ever have an opportunity to go to Poland, uh, visit Auschwitz, and just don't visit it, but take the three-hour tour and see what happened. And uh, this is similar. Uh, they uh, were stripped of all their possessions, um, gassed, and then taken and incinerated in the furnaces. And uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're bound, and they just didn't put them in. I think they threw them in. It says they threw them in, and the men who even uh, threw them into the fiery furnace, uh, they were killed in verse 22. It says the flames killed the soldiers. And this is horrific. And uh, 
They were tightly bound, so they could not be moved, it says in verse 23. And uh, so they are thrown in the furnace. The king is waiting there and knows that they're going to be incinerated in a moment's time. But then, all of a sudden, in verses 24 and 25, there's a whole different scene. You'll notice here that the king is astonished. Notice verse 24. Did we not cast in three men? And the counselors answered in verse 24, True, 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 O king, yes, we cast in three men. And then the king's answer in verse 25, I see four men walking in the fire, have no hurt, and the form of the fourth is like a son of the gods. He doesn't say the son of God. He says, as uh, a son of gods. Now, when you uh, read a commentary about the fourth man, and there's a song, I said, about the fourth man. When you read uh, about the fourth man in commentaries, there's so much division. Some say this is a pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we know there were pre-incarnation of Christ. Others say it was just an angel. The text doesn't say, but I believe we believe it's the pre-incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He's walking in the fire, and you notice these men are walking in the fire, too. Uh, the ropes were, or who knows, maybe a chain disintegrated. They were, the things that held them were in, being bound were uh, off of them. They were free, and they're walking around in the fire. Well, what is the consequences of this? Point number seven, uh, verses 26 through 30, the king's request in verse uh, 26, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he said, come forth, come here. And the king realized in verse 27 when he saw the fire had no power over these men, didn't even uh, singe a hair on their head, let alone their clothes on their body, no stench of smoke whatsoever. And the king's recognition here in verse 28, they, he praised uh, the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego as being greater than all gods. He puts this in plural, gods. And what was the king's ruling? Well, Nebuchadnezzar's decree, verse 29, uh, anybody that spoke against, uh, really, the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, they would be cut in pieces. And in verse 29, uh, the only God to be recognized is the miracle-working God who's able to deliver, and that's the God of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. And in verse 30, uh, he adds... Uh, that he is really deity above all the gods that exist. And then again, they're promoted in verse 30 uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Now that's the story. 
And I said, I want to take you back and uh, give some application to this story because you know the story pretty well. Well, uh, four applications I want to make to this story, and one is reasoning of politicians. Now, we're uh, filled with politicians that have a very low rating in our society today, and uh, the politicians here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego could say this. They could have said, well, you know, it's useless to resist the image and bow down uh, so, uh, because we're going to die. And that's not good. So we can bow down, but in our heart of hearts, we're not really worshiping this image. Or they could reason this way, God will understand. I mean... Now, won't God understand? We were forced to bow down to this image. This was not what we wanted to do. Or they might have reasoned, uh, well, we must obey to survive, and God will understand it. I mean, we're in captivity. And, uh, well, if we want to survive, he'll understand. We've got to bow down and worship. Yeah, we're not really worshiping the image in our heart of hearts. And they could have said, well, we're in the public office and we must obey to those who have the rule over us. Or they could have reasoned something like this. We are prospering. The pay is good. The position is good. And after all, we're in a, a position of influence and we can help our people. I mean, if we don't bow down and worship, we're going into the furnace and we're out of here and how are we going to influence the Jewish people that are really in slavery here while we have position and an ear of uh, King Nebuchadnezzar? They could have reasoned that way. Uh, they could also have reasoned, uh, well, uh, we are bound to really obey uh, the power over us, even though we're in this foreign country. And in our heart of hearts, again, we are not really bowing down to worship the image. And they could have reasoned this way. They could have said, well, it's only a symbolic act. You know, uh, we don't really mean to worship this, but we're just in obedience to the king. A symbolic act, but it means nothing to us. Or they could uh, have said, uh, well, we are worshiping really the true God in our heart of hearts. We're not bowing down and worshiping this image. Or they might have said, everybody else is doing it. And if we want to survive, like I said earlier, bow down and worship the image. And they could say, well, maybe they could reason only this once we'll do it, you know. The king asks us, it's nothing, we'll just bow down and uh, then stand right back up. Or they could have said, we can do more good by living. You know, if we live in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom, we can do more good for our people. Could have said, well, we'll be rewarded. We'll even get a higher position if we're obedient. Uh, see, they could have reasoned this way, like many would do today, maybe that are in politics, using some of these uh, concepts and reasoning. But no, they did not do it 
they were going to remain truth. They truthful to God. They did not function on reasoning. Now, the second thing I want you to notice, they resisted and refused. God is able to deliver us in verse uh, 17. And he said, we will not serve thy God. So they took a stand. There might be times when we are called on to compromise our testimony. And are we going to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Take our stand? Could be on the job? Could be in the community? Could be put in an unexpected, difficult position when it comes to serving God? or the Lord Jesus Christ in some way, but they didn't reason that way. They resisted. And they were rescued from danger. Again, verse 25. Uh, there was a fourth figure in the fire. The Lord came to their rescue. We have no guarantee that the Lord is going to rescue us in a situation where we are... Uh, uh, obedient. We have no possibility of knowing that till we get in that situation. But God is able to give us the strength. God is able to rescue us. And we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. He is there for us. And then notice their reverence of God. They're willing to serve God again. Their dedication uh, paid off. They were blessed by God in verse 28. Uh, he de declared there's no other God that can deliver them. And the decree, anybody that speaks against their God will be destroyed. And uh, they were given a higher diplomatic position. So there you have... Uh, the message. Well, it really comes down, are we committed or do we compromise in the day and age that we're living? I hope we take uh, the lesson here and say, no, we're going to com be committed. As far as me, I'm going to serve the Lord. As far as me and my house, we are going to serve the Lord. This is a good illustration of total commitment unto God. And we don't know what the future has for the United States of America. Many of us feel like many things are unraveling in this country, but God is in control. And as we've been hearing all throughout the conference and all day through uh, uh, on TV, we see the hurricane coming. Well, for some of us, there are hurricanes coming in our life, and we need to trust in the Lord in commitment and courage. For more audio resources, including MP3 downloads of past prophecy conferences, visit us at foi.org.